1: you're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if we're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Hi, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser, and today I'm joined by one man. It's me. It's it's Chris. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hi, Mark. Uh,
2: things are taking uh, a different route today. <laughs> um, yet again. Again. <laughs> uh, Rusty is hanging over us for one more week as mm-hmm. uh David has to honour some sort of short notice family related medical obligations, and yeah. you know. Wish him well wish Hope that goes
1: Hope that resolves itself you know, Extended family member well
2: not. as well So um, But it's a good opportunity actually Because it's been an interesting week In music mm-hmm. um, If that's what you can call it uh, <laughs> With uh, some Something of a viral Sensation mm-hmm. uh, Not necessarily in a positive sense In the form of Threaten Threaten <laughs>
1: Which, it's an odd story, all round.
2: It's an odd story, but it actually, by analysing it, by looking at it, it shines its own light on a number of other really interesting aspects of the contemporary music industry. Absolutely. Um, So we're going to skim across it and then turn our critical eye to some of these angles, which actually I think some of them in the coverage of this threatened fiasco have been a little bit overlooked, Mm -hmm. and they're probably bigger issues than just this one chancer yeah uh so we'll have a wee you know we'll have a wee dig into that and this will be the unsung podcast blows the lid off yet another scoop (laughs) we're talking watergate levels of investigative journalistic brilliance here uh you're gonna get your money's worth folks considering this is free (laughs) Nobody oh, does.
1: If, if all the detective novels have taught me anything, it's how to do a good in- investigative piece. So, this is what we've done.
2: Sitting across the room from me is Mark. Hi. inverted commas, Amber Rudd Fraser.
1: <laughs> I was I was very close to becoming the Brexit Secretary, but I just I was pipped at the last minute by Amber Rudd.
2: You'll always be my Brexit Secretary.
1: Ah, uh, it's good to know. And I'm joined by Chris, the man Kusak, David Cameron Kusak.
2: who's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit bored to say he'd get back
1: into it. Yeah, just by uh, being there and kind of being a bit far than people remember. Still a useless prick. Perpetually useless. But you know what? You're you're putting an effort in, so we like to see that. Yeah, twice in one week. Twice in one week, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've done this before, haven't we? <laughs> I'm getting deja vu. First version of this investigative
2: <laughs> journalistic piece uh, was recorded on a corrupted memory card, but you'll hear all about that in the cash call yes. in the
1: middle. Anyway. Let's, let's crack on. Let's set the world to rights. So you might... You've probably heard about the whole Threaten thing if you have an internet connection and, and you kind of follow music But you might not know as much about the detail of it and, and how, just how much, and I'm going to quote Chris Cusack directly here Just how much number fanning was involved <laughs> 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 So
2: Threaten uh, is the group of Jared Threaten, whose real name is Jared Ames or Eames We're not yeah. quite sure on the pronunciation but we'll see Ames I think E-A-M-E-S. And he is a musician basically from California, from Beverly Hills, although he seems to have relocated there in 2012. Mm -hmm. I think I get the impression he was maybe from somewhere like Arizona originally, given his his history. Uh, In a nutshell, Jared embarked on a world tour uh, beginning at the start of November and very quickly word started to spread that something was amiss. Uh, basically the audience (laughs) so despite having told venues that it shifted massive numbers of tickets so I think like for example the Camden Underworld the figure was 291 pre-sales which is a lot Mm -hmm. if you're a kind of unknown band from the States a lot generally I suppose Um, the Bristol Exchange 180 pre-sales the actual numbers in Camden were 3 and the actual numbers in Bristol were apparently Mm 0 and word started to spread online that something was going on this whole thing about the record company or the agent saying that they'd sold all these pre-sales. It was clearly a bit of a con job. They'd put together this tour. They had these massive numbers on social media and people were like, who is this band? Like, we thought they had a big following. We thought they had some sort of reputation. They were a breaking act and it turns out it's all been a little bit of a scam Mm -hmm. from the looks of it. Now, there was some ambiguity as to whether or not this was a masterstroke bit of satire which is probably wishful thinking.
1: Which is is what he's now claiming.
2: Yeah, he seems to have retrospective... uh, He he seems to have tried to retrofit the whole thing to some incredible, uh, ironic, uh, you know, Mm Banksy-esque musing on the the record industry. Uh, I think that's pretty far-fetched. We'll maybe explain why in a little bit. But that's, that's basically what happened. And The word spread via some posts online from Camden on the World, from Bristol Exchange, and then other venues and promoters the bands they played with, mm-hmm. like, what exactly is going on here? This band turning up, nobody coming to see them and things. And it, it it seemed to expose a procedural shortfall um, as well as... It was just, like, good gossip, I think, for people being like, wow, what balls, <laughs> <laughs> like, what a brass neck that guy has to, to do that. Um I think the thing is, as we... Sort of noted quite quickly, like this guy's invested a lot of money in this. A lot of money, I mean. a lot of money. You see, this is a, there's a lot of speculative expenditure here. Um, that is not cheap to hire, for example, Camden Underworld. I think no. it's 750
1: pounds, yeah, quid? 750 pounds to hire that, that yeah. room, you know, and that's that's expensive for a venue, but I guess it is London, you know. yeah.
2: And then you're talking like all these higher fees, equipment fees, like backline mm-hmm. fees, transportation fees, flights for what sounds like four musicians and. Road manager, yeah.
1: maybe a driver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's an incredible outlay on this. You know, six are a really in-depth article which we will post and we're going to kind of quote from as well on this. But they reckon that you would have spent just in the, just here alone, like in the, in Europe, like about thirty thousand pounds. They reckon just for paying venues <laughs> and, and getting around, which is a lot of fucking money, man. I don't know any band that has that kind of money lying around.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it seems likely that he is drawing on funds from somewhere else mm-hmm. because he doesn't have this a studied career prior to this. It's interesting as a shit hit the fan on this subject and uh Jared threatened uh disappeared off social media briefly. Um his Wikipedia page I believe was deleted. Yeah, he deleted <laughs> entirely. And yeah. then um it popped back up. And The one that's up now actually is obviously a third party cuz it's quite uh it's quite
1: a lot more objective than the other. Objective, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's it makes for some fascinating reading as well because somebody's done a little bit of digging on him as well. Um, it turns out he was previously in a band called Satith with mm-hmm. his brother and Scott Scott. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, who then went on to do something else, I believe, and uh, he was also in a band called Abigail Williams. To the start.
0: Allegedly,
1: yeah. Um, We don't know if that's true, but people seem to think he was. I mean, Abigail Williams are a a kind of, well, they are a death metal band. They've been going for a while. It's possible mostly because if you look at their their former members, it is like a revolving door project of, like, there must be something like 20 members have been in that band, you know? So it's like a lot of people have been involved in that. So it's possible he could be involved. He played bass on their second album in twenty ten, I believe.
2: He's down as having been in the band in twenty ten, and I think that album came out in twenty eleven. Yeah,
1: so. something like that. And but he's not credited on, um, well, on any of the official sources like Discogs or AllMusic or whatever has been on the record. But some people have s- seem to think that he has been, which is also which is entirely possible. I would certainly explain how he's got so much knowledge of how the whole thing works, even if he's tried to exploit that and and failed miserably at that task
2: it's probably fair to observe as well that he's a capable musician mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah he can I mean, play. He, his music is decidedly unremarkable mm-hmm. um but he can play and he can play multiple instruments and indeed is it a single living is dying So <laughs> <laughs> you just love that title <laughs> in that single he, he played everything on it mm. and i think in the video it's basically just him rocking out on a bunch of different yeah. instruments there's also as part of the promotional cut and thrust on youtube videos that alternate and i say alternate by not in the same shot but videos of him and the band playing on a stage and really rocking out and giving it laldi and then other videos that are supposedly the audience at one of his shows but you would never see the camera panning from one to the other it's mm-hmm. always one or the other yeah and it's the idea is that these have been cross-cut and that this, the audio has been replaced so the crowd noises and his band videos are added and li- vice versa the mm-hmm. the music in the crowd videos has been added again who knows <laughs> uh, at this point well he knows but we don't know. So, in 2017 he released an album quite hilariously titled Breaking the World.
0: And
2: that's effectively the tour that he's, he's still on. <laughs> an 18 Supposedly. month world tour yeah. <laughs> <laughs> taking in 20 venues <laughs> a lot of days off but yeah so this, this guy's like a bit of an enigma and uh by you know from the sounds of it a bit of a player of it there's been allegations that this is nothing but a vanity project that this is it is basically him with hired musicians we mm. know that the musicians that played in the uk were hired guns and indeed since then some of them have come out to to talk about it they quit the tour partway through when all this was kicking off I believe the drummer, uh, Dane Davis. Dane Davis, that's right. Had did a fairly lengthy interview. Yeah. Um. Where, where he and one other member had left but the guitarist.
1: The <laughs> yeah. The bass
2: player mm. was stuck, still on tour because he couldn't afford to fly home. <laughs> Just a prisoner.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, apart from apart from, I uh, probably a good time coming into this part. Then apart from being a bit of a shall we say rogue with his his online presence. He's also been quite a dick to his band members, so just to uh, give an abridged version of of how the whole recruitment process was, like Dane and the guitar player had to commute from Vegas to LA for the audition and on their own coin, and then had to commute there to practice. And then they were told that it was going to be all expenses paid, the only thing they had to do was get to LA, and then they got to LA and it turned out that their flights were paid, but they were given $300 each to do them food for the entire tour, which is not a lot of money, really, when you think about how long you're going to be on the road for. It's a really hilarious story in an interview where they talk about how him and his wife who's on tour with him... Another flight cost. Another flight cost. We're absolutely raging at the fact that him and the guitar player went down to get breakfast in a hotel without them. Hmm. Like, proper rockstar diva bullshit. It like, apparently caused, like, a huge a huge deal. And, like, how how massive must this guy's ego be if You think he can get away with all this shit? You know what I mean? It's...
2: I mean... I feel like that's at least these crimes because yeah. I've been on tour and you're in close proximity with people and they just everybody just gets on mm-hmm. everybody's nerves. I, yeah. I don't want to be too judgmental on that <laughs> front. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I really think there's there's probably much more to hang them on. But, I
1: mean, it's 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 indicative of, of like, not just that, I hope, not that breakfast thing, but the whole, you know, saying you're going to do something then, kind of. Uh, it's changed <laughs> a little bit and then when you get to the UK you suddenly realise, fuck, I'm supposed to be playing these shows and there's nobody at them. Like, that's yeah. I just I just think weird. he's
2: going to go down in history as the guy that was a dick about breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I we did though. <laughs> um, but also I think the reports from the bands that have been playing, the support bands, who often have been the only people watching these shows, uh, we know that was the case in Glasgow as mm-hmm. well with a band called Heavy Smoke who play up here. And yeah. David, absent David, uh, our, our brother in arms, uh, actually had the initiative to contact them shortly after this all started to go down just for banter and david just got in touch with them he's like guys can you give us the 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 skinny on the what's actually been going on here and they described a very odd scene when they they performed a venue called ivory blacks Mm -hmm. with Threaten. now ivory blacks is basically a metal and hard rock venue ivory blacks has also hosted some promoters that i would not go out of my way to endorse Mm -hmm. and therefore The idea of something shady going down isn't completely, uh, isn't a complete non sequitur. Uh, But Ivory Blacks has had some good shows as well, Mm. of course, uh, like anywhere. Um, But the guys in Heavy Smoke described a very strange scenario um, with the band, and especially Jared Threaten, being quite standoffish, uh, quite unfriendly. And I think that part of it is what really made me doubt the idea that it was some giant satirical project Mm -hmm. because i feel like if that was your game and you were in on your own joke and you were like oh my god this is going so well especially when the press started to catch on Mm -hmm. you would be like almost like it's working yeah it's working Mm -hmm. whereas it seems like the opposite has happened Mm -hmm. that he's been very uh i don't want to say unpleasant but just very very disinterested in being friendly to to bands bands like heavy smoke who kind of do tend to go out their way to say hi to people Mm -hmm. And especially touring bands, because, you know, it's exciting. Sometimes you get to it's, meet some band from the other side of the world.
1: Yeah, it's worth saying that that Glasgow show happened before any of this came out, so it must have been even weirder for them.
2: The thing it, it see, it, it didn't, it didn't, though. See, there's, so there's there's a bit of debate in the timeline here, because I was, uh, they were also apparently booked to play at Nice and Sleazy, mm. which is a really well-respected venue in, in Glasgow. has a terrific venue, actually, and it's, we're friends with a lot of people that work at that venue. And that gig was pulled by the person who was originally involved in promoting it, c- because he started to get suspicious, apparently, of this, mm-hmm. uh, of the the circumstances around this tour. And I can only assume either they were going to play twice in Glasgow or they then at short notice relocated it to Ivory Blacks. That part of it we don't know. Mm-hmm. Be happy to find out if anybody wants to contribute. So I don't want to, I don't want to act like we no. have the full picture mm-hmm. there. But there's some people definitely clicked that something yeah. wasn't going on here, mm-hmm. because they bailed out on that as soon as word started to creep out that yeah. these shows were a disaster.
1: But it wasn't the press before. like It wasn't like a bigger deal. It wasn't that big a deal at the time. It was no, just another shade it of It seemed band, to be uh,
2: the, the Guardian and NME...
1: NME, yeah. One of their partners, apparently. Yeah,
2: ironically. Had a couple of quite high-profile stories that went viral about mm-hmm. it, and that's when everybody started to really spread the word. Um, also, Davis, uh, Dane Davis, had mentioned... some of these shows just talking about the sort of weird atmosphere that the band especially for their first show in Camden Underworld didn't know that anything was awry they they, they turned up and he describes the staff being lovely the engineer was good they did the sound check everybody was there everything was there that needed to be there for the gig to happen they went backstage and he says it wasn't until they were about to start playing that they came out and they noticed why is this place empty Mark and I both (laughs) kind of looked at each other when we read that and we were sort of like what, what, you were like sitting backstage the entire time the entire time and you weren't <laughs> aware that there weren't hundreds of people in the room next to you <laughs> uh, I mean that seems a little odd yeah you know the, I don't necessarily buy into that and I'm not sure if maybe Davis is trying to distance himself from the pro the thing seems pretty likely probably is mm-hmm. um, maybe they were just flight tired maybe they just wanted to doze off in the green room and then go on stage I don't know that did seem a little far-fetched but hey you know we give them yes. the benefit of the doubt because he said they're a week.
1: Yeah, just a bit. And <laughs> that's another thing that's worth pointing out as well. It's like, as potentially, these guys are session players, you know what I mean? And they make their money and they make their reputation off of playing with good artists. You know, or artists of talent of a certain calibre. Having to do this kind of thing, you know, that's uh, that could be quite a... Could take quite a hit in their reputation and try to get future work as well. You know, so that's, that's <laughs> something... <laughs> get even bigger... Bite out your morale. Yeah. Like, honestly, Why would you want to keep doing it? Yeah.
2: Seriously, sometimes as a musician, it's just, it, ta- it takes bad experiences, and you're like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to become an accountant. <laughs> you know, it's, it's could have happened to Gibby Haynes. Could have
1: happened to Gibby It went the reverse for him, i done that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, another, another kind of interesting twist in this is so we, we had to be look online at, um, oh, I can't remember. It threatenedmusic.com? Is it threatenmusic.com? Yeah. Is that his webpage? And if you look on the website, there's, it's entertaining there's there's <laughs> there's some stuff on there that seems dubious uh but what's even more interesting is that you then go to the record label Superlative Music Recordings or if you look at their logo it clearly says superlative recordings music <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just so amateurish um but when you look into superlative music recordings bio it claims to have been founded in 1964 after the founder watched the beatles on ed sullivan <laughs> and that mm-hmm. it sort of endured the blight of disco for a decade <laughs> until the 80s it was redeemed by the new wave movement and uh, it claims to have released stuff by bands and it, it's it's unclickable names of bands uh, including Ice Age and Braid
0: dozen roses in the car
2: are two that stood out to me because I know there are bands called Ice Age and Braid, I've got stuff by them and <laughs> it seems unlikely, I mean there's certainly no mention of uh, superlative music recordings in Braid's uh, history mm-hmm. um, <laughs> could be another Braid these might just be arbitrary names that this label has come up with. I think uh, they're just
1: like cool words or cool combinations of words that yeah, sound kind of like band names
2: <laughs> I mean maybe they assume that it's very unlikely anyone's going to put two and two together here but Um the the website as well though, the aesthetic of that website is almost identical to to threatenmusic.com. Yeah. It looks like it's been done by the same person. Mm Uh and it possibly has. I mean, it wouldn't be the first record label that arranged for one of its artists to get to to have a website made. Um on the uh, Superlative Music Recording site it also lists enemy as a partner. (laughs) And given the hammering that (laughs) enemy just gave Threaten, uh Albeit an ironic Cameron, because Enemy is far from innocent mm-hmm. uh of getting behind completely manufactured hyped garbage. Yeah. Like, enemy is one of the main offenders of that mm-hmm. shit. So it is pretty rich. Um <laughs> but enemy being in the dire straits that it is mm-hmm. is probably just glad of anything that people want to read in it these days. Um but yeah, also on uh SMR because I'm sick of saying their name. Mm. Also on the SMR website uh, it claims to th- that the label itself has released more than 200 albums, they've had numerous top 40 hits, <laughs> and they've got 1 million units sold, uh, which could well be the case. I mean, I, like, as Mark pointed out, you know, in the 54 years <laughs> since they supposedly got set up, that's not ridiculous claim. <laughs> um, but there's a lot about it, doesn't seem to tally. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, I guess harking back to Threaten's sort of. I would say posthumous in terms of the, the, the debacle of the European tour Um, is posthumous claim that this whole disastrous European tour was some giant satirical exercise at what point are you just lying mm-hmm. you know so it's one thing being satirical it's one thing doing that it's one thing you know having some kind of performance art or conceptual art piece yeah. but at what point when your record company is just saying we've sold a million units and had f- top 40 hits and you're like can you bag that up? And you're <laughs> just like well no <laughs> at what point are you just lying? It, that's not serving a satirical purpose it's not you know there is no message within that that highlights a bigger issue mm-hmm. it's just like oh that's just not true <laughs> yeah. so I think that kind of flies in the face of it a bit as well
1: The further down the rabbit hole you go as well like you see that there are the Management company's website is the exact same format as the booking agent's website, and the the awards. the award that he's won is from a fake music news website that he's <laughs> just created. This put him in and in, interviews with him in between people like Antiquidus and you know fucking Judas Priest and stuff like that. I think mean, it's it's very it's it's one of those things. It's like it's like being sold something that's fake, and when you see it and when you see it like displayed. If you don't look too closely at it, it's quite convincing. Yeah. Once you start looking quite closely at it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, there's something, there's something a bit wrong. Here. So
2: that that in itself, that that statement is quite interesting. So I think what we should do is, we'll take we'll, we'll go into the nexus. How about mm, that? Because yeah. because we decided as as daft as this is, we should honor our contract with the listeners. Yes. and Find <laughs> next eye to Dave Grohl from this. And when you're dealing with basically a fake project, <laughs> you'd be amazed. You think like Dave Grohl is so ubiquitous, he even exists in the world of fiction <laughs> um but just before we do that it's worth pointing out that one some of the highlights to come out of this just as you're skimming across the the mess and the fallout is the the birth of two new genres we've got echo metal <laughs> which presumably is the sound of metal echoing around an empty venue <laughs> although I, I like the idea that it's also echo as in like it's like a It's an echo of the real thing, but it's not the real thing, (laughs) you know. Um, And also tumbleweed rock.
1: Tumbleweed rock, which I think is more (laughs) apt given the actual sound of the band.
2: (laughs) And my personal highlight of the research was on the the SMR website, the record label's website, the quote of Threaten, the world has rarely seen so much talent wrapped into one person. (laughs) (laughs) And if he did write that, I mean, fair play, to you big man. You are—you are <laughs> you're, you're not fucking around. Um, but yeah, I mean, we—we've done it. We've got a nexus. We have nexus, so let's do it. And we're going to play Fraser's wonderful nexus music, which was a total delight last week and had both of us falling off our seats in public.
0: It's the unsung podcast. Dave Grohl. Need to find a way To connect the show to that guy From playing in Nirvana To hanging with Obama He knows lots of folk So stands to reason We'll find a link It's the Young Some Podcast Dave Groh Nexus Don't take too long You guys ready?
1: Are you ready? Here we go. I thought that he'd actually taken that from the song, but you told me that he actually played no, all of that. He did that, he,
2: which he, is incredible. he copied the tones. He's the guy's marvelous.
1: Yeah, he is. He's a truly, truly, truly talented gentleman. So,
2: uh, Mark, you care to go first?
1: Yeah, so, um, both of our Nexus. Spoiler alert, it's predicated on the fact that he may have in fact played bass in Abigail Williams (laughs)
2: Yes, it's an essential ingredient
1: Um, So Abigail Williams has had many, many members One such member was uh, a woman called Ashley Jürgenmeister. Who was a, key, a keyboard player And Abigail Williams She later went on to
2: I'd just pl- like to point out We we already recorded this episode As we
1: said And Mark still hasn't learned how to pronounce now it, it. I don't, It's fine <laughs> I, I don't care <laughs> I've stopped caring at this point <laughs> I'm completely ambivalent See, Yerga Ma- It must be your Amaya Sorry this isn't going to record either yeah, She's she's not going to listen to it She's too busy playing With Cradle of Elf. You still a- assume That Ashley is a woman She's referred to as a woman On her Wikipedia
2: page <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah <laughs> Okay I'll give you that Assuming she okayed that.
1: Okay, sorry Ashley, if you're um, if I've misgendered you, but yeah, she plays keyboard in Cradle of Filth, which has a an extra link to one of her own.
2: Yeah, Dave's friends with the, the bass player from Cradle of Filth, um, from a an Orcadian.
1: Yeah, just still strange to me. Uh, the singer and sort of mastermind behind Cradle of Filth is of course Danny Fouth. and Danny Philth played on a record called Roadrunner United, which was like a super project by Rolf Flynn, Dino Cazares. And um, Matt Heffy and somebody else, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> sorry, Joey Jordison. Nobody's sorry. It's Joey Jordison. We're just um, throwing names at the wall here. And they they basically had a whole bunch. Well, of I
2: think by the way, like, I think we spoke about this as well. Dino Cazares, the the Ron Jeremy <laughs> of new metal. Like, it's I bet you they held all their meetings in strip clubs.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> Uh, but it's basically, it was basically like a huge list of like influential and c- quite well-known metal musicians on this record That was put together by Roadrunner All the songs were written by one of those four guys If not, some of those guys together as well So Danny Filth on one of those songs Danny Filth, uh, oh sorry, and also on one of those songs is AC Slade Who is a good friend of one of my good friends And he's a very lovely chap He played in the Murder Dolls and Dope as well And he's just a bloody lovely chap plays for Misfits too which is interesting and he's also played bass for Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. and Joan Jett was part of the Nirvana reunion a couple of years ago with St Vincent and also recently more recently with Brody Dow too so yeah that gets you to Dave Grohl who played drums in a band called Nirvana at some point in his career
2: acceptable yeah absolutely
1: yeah as as Mark says mine also involves the
2: band Abigail Williams so given that so much of Jared Ames' past is fictitious. We're going to hopefully go with the fact that that part of it might be true. Because he didn't write it. Someone else wrote it. Mm -hmm. Um, So Abigail Williams also at one point or another featured uh, both Zach Gibson and Alan Cassidy, who are members of Black Dahlia Murder. Um, Black Dahlia Murder uh, in 2008 uh, were part of Hot Topics' summer slaughter tour. um, With some other pretty big names uh, that kind of escape me right now. One of those big names is Vader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vader and this is this is where it gets fantastic. <laughs> Vader are actually the band that gave Eagles of Death Metal their name. And I I didn't know that. I, I was like I was when you're looking for a Nexus and you, you you come across a gold nugget like that, you're like, <laughs> This is a gift. <laughs> um so Josh Hom was apparently being schooled in death metal by a friend who was trying to convert him. And one of the bands they were foisting upon him was Vader. And just based on their sound and their look, Hom kind of thought they were quite amusing and referred to them as the Eagles of Death Metal. As in the band, the Eagles. Uh, now, obviously at this point, we can go into the fact that Dave Grohl has been in videos for the Eagles of Death Metal. I don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Eagles of Death Metal piss me off. Um, but... Also supposedly Eagles of Death Metal and the Vader thing is where Josh Homer got the idea to start that mm-hmm. along with Jesse. Um, but even better than that is the fact that Eagles of Death Metal, and this is the only time maybe in my entire life I will give Axel Rose the <laughs> thumbs up, but Eagles of Death Metal supported Guns N' Roses and it ended up, I don't know if it was meant to be a tour, but it ended up just being the one show because after they performed this back in 2006, uh, Axl Rose went on stage and referred to them as the pigeons of shit metal. <laughs>
1: Good old Axl Rose <laughs> <laughs> Totally uh,
2: And then funnily enough uh, In 2017 At Firenze Rocks in Italy In Florence uh, Dave Grohl joined Guns N' Roses on stage To perform Paradise City Which would have had Cobain spinning oh, yeah. At a ferocious rate in his grave I'm Surprised we couldn't hear him like a turbine um,
1: It's also the most Dave Grohl thing though
2: Yeah Just to sell out your past Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that is The Nexus and we'll treat you to a little bit more of Fritz's masterpiece.
0: It's the Unsung Podcast Dave Groh Nexus Need to find a way To connect the show To that guy For playing Some podcasts, they grow nexus. Don't take too long. All right, you guys ready?
1: The scream It's always the scream That gets me
2: <laughs> I like the, the clearing <laughs> Of the throat at the end Because you If you were singing Like Dave Grohl Yeah you would
1: How is he not Fuck his throat man I don't understand that He's hes hes just Can only hope He's not of this world I don't think So
2: Given that we've done A bit of the due diligence On the backstory Of Threaten There's some issues That kind of Present themselves Yeah mm-hmm. Um. So we'll take a wee Look at that Now I think the first Thing to say is Threaten are certainly not the first band to try to play the system no, not in at music. All. And there are there are various ways to try to play the system. Mm-hmm. The way they've done it, uh trying to blag tr- trying to mind fuck the public and giggoers and promoters into thinking you're the real deal in and of itself is not original. Uh we we learned a bit about a band called White Lace, spelt with a Y. This time From the nineteen eighties. And White Lace were your kind of stereotypical hair metal, huge, permed, ridiculous, poison-esque group. Uh, I think they were from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them at least was the son of somebody who worked in media and TV and had been quite heavily financed in this pet project by family money. And of what course. White? Yeah, and what mm-hmm. White Lace did was they used to hire out limos to drive around clubs. They used, they, I think they did like a demo or something, mm-hmm. but they had no real musical... Heri- like, uh, they hadn't paid any real musical dues. Yeah. Let's put it that way. And they took out TV adverts, maybe again helped by the, the whoever their parent was. Um, they took out big TV adverts for their, their big shows. They just basically ticked all these boxes to try and bluff their way towards seeming like a legit thing and ultimately White Lace never actually released an album.
1: Yeah they played for lots of A&R people apparently which is their whole goal all over the country but it just never materialised for them.
2: Yeah if you if you go on YouTube you can actually still see the, the TV spots that they did mm-hmm. um, and it's like a 20 odd second advert but it's, it's quite amusing because it's just, there's nothing there
0: Unveiling the mystery here comes White Lace ready to rock <laughs> Get your tickets now for National's best kept secret. I want you, that's all I want. Don't miss White Friday, August twenty eighth at T-Pack. Rock and roll with all the frills. Don't miss White Lace.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's like unwrapping a present. Yeah, you know it's all so so parcel.
0: I
1: bet people came to their shows though.
2: <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine they at least managed to trick a few folk in it. Um, so there's that, and then there's like there's kind of the other approach to like gaming the system. Uh, people like 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 Rebecca Black mm-hmm. was an interesting example. So Rebecca Black, I'm sure you all know that wonderful right anthem then. Friday. Uh, so Rebecca Black's parents had actually paid a company in LA called Arc Music to write Friday for their daughter.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weekend, weekend, Friday, Friday, down on to party, party. I don't
2: know if this was just as a gift if it was just as a hobby if it was a oh you know she wants to try singing let's let's invest and back it up a bit I mean, just just even looking at the figures, Rebecca Black's at 127 million views <laughs> online, and that's before you consider all the licensing, all the you know the the royalties from perf- performance, TV, just so many other other different revenue streams. Like <laughs>
1: the parents made
2: a pretty savvy
1: investment yeah. there, to be fair. All completely by accident as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she was like 14 at the time. Yeah. This is weird, actually. She was like 14 at the time, mm-hmm. so Rebecca Black's in her like mid twenties now. <laughs> she must be right when was that? probably early 20s so yeah so Rebecca Black's in her 20s now and that fucking as far as I'm aware she's never done anything else has she? no
1: because I... she couldn't sing she knew that <laughs> she knew that like that's one of the th- I, I think that's, that was the great kind of um, it happens a lot on the internet it's like when people start to you know slag people for things which are quite self-evident like it was obvious that Rebecca Black just did it for a bit of fun and it got out of hand completely And a lot of people say nasty things about her when it was never meant to be anything but a bit of, just a bit of a laugh. And, you know.
2: Surely the most outrageous thing about Friday, anyway, was the fact that a bunch of 14 year olds were driving. (laughs) That's inexcusable.
1: I was thinking about this, I know this is the second time we've done this, right? But I was thinking about this afterwards. It was like, imagine being the guy that runs Arc Studios, right? And you're basically getting, you're charging people $4,000 for songs that you've written, which are probably. All pretty much gas just to satisfy some probably wealthy wealthy parents in the west coast of in the west coast of America, right? It probably seems like a pretty sweet deal until something like that happens, <laughs> 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 and then you're gutted. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but
2: nobody deserves that disappointment more than the scumbags that unleash that garbage <laughs> true. on the world. So I really hope they still can't sleep (laughs) i really hope they still wake up screaming in the night (laughs) hearing their song but for all the different reasons than us um but i think what what that gaming of the system kind of shows is that the music industry really has metamorphosed it's it's, it's not that it's never been prone to exploitation i think like the monkeys are an interesting example because they were a manufactured band and the whole idea of manufacturing things has been around quite a while Yeah, sex
1: pistols you know um any number of recent acts of the past, <sighs> fucking any number. Years, yeah, I mean, you know, increasingly so. The basic rules as well, basically. Yeah. The manufacturers, you know, it's been going for as long as there's been music.
2: So I think, or certainly pop music. Well, at like least Elvis course. as well. Rev- was revenue, manufactured, you, know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know. since there was revenue involved, mm-hmm. it's been possible to maximise it. Um, but what's interesting is that is the means by which you can fake it now. So, for example, in the case of Jared Threaten, a guy who has how many people? going to his event uh, in london
1: 291 two, two, all from
2: brazil all from brazil right <laughs> so clearly these are bought bot, bot oh. accounts they're either uh, and, and i mean bought as in both robot but also as in purchased mm-hmm. so these these accounts are obviously an investment by him um as are the likes I'd imagine a huge proportion of the likes as are
1: I would wager so, yeah. The
2: views on the videos. Well, we
1: know for a fact the YouTube ones were all manufactured. Well most of them were because there's millions on them and all the accounts that have liked them. It's on that Sick Chirps article, which again I will reiterate is linked. Um like all the accounts that liked all the accounts that commented on, on his on his page are fake accounts. And also given how many millions of views he's had, the number of likes he's got on his videos is like way off. Like way off usually. Usually when you get millions of views, you get, like, thousands, tens of thousands of, like, likes or dislikes. You just get, like, a thousand and you said like, millions of views. Yeah. You know.
2: And I think I think you made the point about the Instagram and stuff as well. It's, yeah. So, yeah.
1: I mean, Instagram, you can buy, you can't, this is the thing, like, buying, sometimes buying likes can, it can be done in a more legitimate way than others. It,
2: no, you mean bought organic likes? Yeah,
1: but, yeah you can buy organic likes. Uh, you kind of do it on Facebook as well with, with a page like ad. It's just, they're just delivering to people who are likely to like your page. Real people, and that can turn into fans you know what I mean? So that is a legitimate way of doing it. It's sometimes quite savvy to do that, because in a day, in a day and age, where social media is a big thing, and I'm a social media manager, you know, that's my, that's my day job. Um, so You need to pay to play on these platforms in order to, to get any kind of traction, you know? Uh, one thing that I, I can say is probably pretty good from Jared's point of view, is that um, at least he understood the value of touring, to try, and, <laughs> to try and build something, even if it was all fucking fake. But at least he understood that part of it, which a lot of acts like the we have come into contact with don't. And they think they can just chuck money at things yeah. online well, they, organically. And, and, can. and it doesn't work. And they quite often can. Yeah.
2: So with the case of Instagram, I think we looked into it a, a little bit deeper. And it worked out about nine cents per like. Uh, the companies that were selling likes on Instagram. So it's a, a thousand likes for $90 uh twenty thousand likes or eighteen hundred dollars, those kind of numbers. And as Mark says, a lot of those are organic. They're real people. I think what was fascinating is that there are so many that are also completely fake. And that's where you get these bot accounts, these just fabricated accounts all over the place, based based everywhere, sold in bulk. Mm-hmm. Uh fake people, uh largely. No, and 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 this is this is a very topical thing like this is this is actually this this actually ties into the american election in a lot of ways because it was those sort of accounts on twitter that were being used to spread fake stories Mm. that were being used to take headlines from rt and sputnik and you know propagate them around the internet um you know you could tell these things because they'd like eagles and the logos and they had you know mum gun owner all these kind of things and it's the same with these other fake accounts they sit there idle and then they're activated when somebody in the company gets money and then by thousands, millions at a time, they start doing whatever they're told to do. They're programmed to go and support things. Yeah. You don't a, even
1: have to be a particularly talented like software engineer or hacker to, act, to to write the scripts that's required to make these kind of bots work. You know, you can go on YouTube and see how these farms work. It feels like uh, when we talk about it, it's a dirty secret, but it's really not. We'll all have been a victim of it or have seen it at some point, maybe to a greater or lesser degree. Absolutely. Hi friends. You've interrupted your podcast listening. We're not gonna apologise for it this time though. Because we're really angry. Steven. Stephen. Really angry. I know it sounds like I'm smiling, but I'm not. Deep down inside I'm raging. It's a nervous smile. It's a nervous smile. Because we have to do this all over again.
2: This, this is our second time taking a run at this, and it's because of cheap technology imported on a
1: budget. We trusted the Chinese and we regret it.
2: Yeah, so we're throwing ourselves at your mercy to help us buy higher quality
1: equipment. <laughs> Good
0: go British British SD cards. Uh,
2: God blighty. Yeah, made here. Brexit, innit? Yeah, made in Britain. Oh, none of this Chinese foreign tax.
1: Well, 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 will SD cards be better in the, in the event of Brexit? I don't think so. Mm,
2: no. But. Mm. I guess it, we'll find out. <laughs> England's England pleasant land will be better. And pies. Pies. I love pies. And chips. Mm. They'll be better. Football. Chelsea. Football. Chelsea
1: will be better. I don't want Chelsea really won't be They just got <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> um... Topical, But yeah, we really need some money to buy some USD cards Because like Chris is this is the second time we've done this recording And we kind of really don't want to do it any oh, more times You should have heard that first <laughs> one as well It was Honestly, really good yeah. I actually walked away from it, like, phoning round folk on career high Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's the kind of thing that would get you signed to a major label if you're an indie band it was that good even if you're not a major uh, an indie <laughs> band even if you are just a podcast that, uh, I mean, uh, it it's so
2: good that a record label would be like fuck it we don't even know how to deal with that but we need to sign them that we was need so that good. immediately that's money <laughs>
1: that's bank which is what we need instantly so give whatever you can 50 pence would even help because you know SD cards are not that expensive so give whatever you can at unsungpod.net for slash donate we would recommend instead of that you can do that maybe to just give it some likes and shares but they don't buy SD cards so you know just leaving it in your hands man
2: yeah we could really do with a little push on the sharing again thanks it was great for a few weeks and then it's kind of tapered off a bit because everybody had done their bit Uh, it it would be great if it was like a rolling thing rolling shares anyway we'll go back to the show now except for a long one okay bye think in the US election, for example, one of the things that made it so potent and one of the things they're discovering now, and which frustratingly isn't up for debate, is established, is proven, is evidenced clearly and abundantly by many different intelligence organisations, is that the technology exists in the form of data analysis Mm -hmm. and algorithms to very, very, very precisely target these things now to, to influence certain things. So whether you're influencing one media campaign or whether you're looking at one county in Ohio, which is a swing state, um and you're like we want to win this county. This county, you know, they they reckon that it was something like 77,000 votes ultimately that won Trump that election because of where they were, like spread across key states like Ohio and Florida and places like that. That's a really really tiny amount. And so if you and, and given that these farms control millions Of these bots the ability to win votes from those is astonishing Mm -hmm. and and very very effective if you can micro target to very very approximate areas where you can tell from polls that like oh this area is kind of on the fence we should pressure them to go that way Mm -hmm. and there's an incredible technology available here so but these bot farms have been used from for everything from rigging elections now to to influence in our perceptions of what's popular in the media of what music's popular of how well followed uh a celebrity is and bear in mind that the, the better followed a celebrity is on instagram say the more money they make the more money they make the more likely they can get sponsorship the the money they'll get from the video views for starts on places like youtube especially if it's fake views by 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 the millions they're actually getting hard and fast revenue there and then. But also advertiser revenue—it's mm-hmm. huge. Being able to pitch it, yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a real, there was one really interesting case study. Um, the New York Attorney General, uh, it basically ordered an investigation in a company called Devumi. Uh, Devumi—it turned out had about three and a half million fake Twitter accounts, and they'd used those three and a half million accounts two hundred million times. So they had been getting contracts from. They, they reckoned about 200,000 customers on Twitter to try and inflate their numbers, to try and give the impression of those customers being better followed and more influential than they are
1: that does uh, lead to organic interaction though eventually, it so does. that's the thing it's exactly, like, it's, it's, it's like it, starting the ball rolling you know,
2: you're manufacturing a consensus there, you're making people think oh, I, th- I like to think I'm cutting edge and I'm on the ball and why am I not following that person, so many people are following them I should be following them too, and so really, it's, it's it's there's a psychology to that there's a the, the feeling of, the fear of missing out mm-hmm. is a big part of it, and the fear of being a part of an
1: out group that isn't oh you're not following so and so I can't believe it. Speaking and- of the psychology, that just something that uh, I want to mention is I was looking online at the whole thing of buying fake Facebook likes for bands specifically, right? And I I came across a number of articles which were basically saying like if a band basically breaking down the number of likes a, a band has, right? And it was articles from websites saying if a band's got less than a thousand likes, they don't take their career seriously. The perception of that is, that's powerful. If you're a new band, you know, like that's like, that's, that's fucking terrifying.
2: Yeah. And I I think you and I both know as well, this isn't just the domain of, you know, eccentrics like Jared Threaten, Mm -hmm. um, as it's also the domain of mid-table bands who are trying to, Bluff their way onto festivals mm-hmm. is a big one, and again, that can be monetized because if you're if you're trying to get on a festival bill and the booker of the festival is looking at that, going, "Oh wow, twenty thousand likes, yeah, mm. I'll get them." You know that again is a real payback in terms of the fees and the profile and the sales. And you, I mean, you, you don't mean me to walk you through it, but it's going all the way up the ladder, right up to the top. Now, as part of that investigation at Davumi, they discovered that they were getting business from reality stars they were getting business from models they were getting business from stand-up comedians ted speakers musicians unsurprisingly uh, and even pastors so in america that competitive market for Mm. like religious speakers and radio hosts and you know community figureheads even they have realized the advantage now i don't think for a minute that the individuals themselves are necessarily privy to this. I think some of them will be, of course, especially the smaller bands and such like. But I think what's just a given now is that you know your your office intern at a label, your your person there trying to work their way up the ladder is nudge nudge, wink wink. You're on this campaign. You know, here's a bit of budget. We want some more mm-hmm. likes. You or, know, or but,
1: buy this yourself and claim it back as an expense kind yeah, of thing. You Bob's your uncle.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think. From the conversation um, uh, conversations I have within music industry, it's become pretty obvious that a lot of the bigger and not even the biggest labels, some of the smaller labels are kind of aping the tactic. They are, as a matter of course, trying to get their artists trending in terms of these figures, and they will just pay for these likes to get them on the radar, uh, to get them on Illy, to try and generate, as Mark says, the, the the subsequent organic following that gets them on things like the hype machine websites that are like meta sites that aggregate data and therefore if you're on the hype machine you're definitely getting invited to such and such festival you've got you know you've got a chance of getting on you know your jules holland you've got a chance of getting all, all these different things that can be knock-on effects of of those kind of trends yeah. mm-hmm. and so this practice is far more prevalent than we're really being allowed t- to know and i think one of the most telling things was uh in 2012 december 2012 youtube who obviously pay based on plays and such like, yeah. uh, had a massive investigation in, in what was going on uh, uh, on their site in terms of these bot plays and ended up purging millions and millions and millions of views, uh, including from labels like Sony and Universal and this, the subsidiaries of these uh, record labels. Lady Gaga, interesting example, lost 156 million views in one day. From fraudulent you know bot accounts yeah interestingly there was a number of other ones that came out of that it's kind of a little bit of a roundabout thing but when vivo was launched as with so many platforms they want to really make it seem essential and the chat was there was a whistleblower who went under the uh, who went by the name spk or speak uh and this whistleblower said that he had been developing uh some algorithmic stuff and had been contracted to work on twenty thousand distinct videos uh using his software to the extent of millions of views on each and according to him that included uh Toxic by Britney Spears who got thirty million views I think in one day at one point. Uh, Kanye song Heartless heartless by mm-hmm. Kanye
0: which uh was 33 million in one day
2: give you to give you a comparison Gangnam Style is still the number one all-time most viewed music video of all time. On, on YouTube and that was getting about three million views a day. So they're talking about ten times more than the most viewed of all time. And those kind of anomalies in the figures really piqued the interest of people at YouTube. And I, b- I believe there was some uh, some eyebrows raised about Tidal as well.
1: Yeah. So again, talking about Kanye West when when uh, Life of Pablo was released, it was also released roughly around the same time as Lemonade by Beyonce. And it was found by a Danish newspaper that basically over the course of 10 days, it was claimed that The Life of Pablo was streamed 250 million times. And they were also claiming at the same time that they had 3 million subscribers, which means that it averaged out that every single subscriber was listening to the album 8 times a day for 10 days straight, which is... Not probably not even going to be I a mean, I'm on you record know, as a okay, big Beyonce yeah.
2: fan, and uh, even I wouldn't listen to it eight times a day.
1: <laughs> and uh, Tidal exactly claimed that subscribers streamed Lemonade 306 million times in its first 15 days as well. All
2: 306 million mm. were probably me. <laughs> yeah, actually, and I would. I, I don't even think the sarcasm's strong enough there. I, I fucking hate Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, it just ruined that.
1: And uh, this, this you might be thinking, oh, it's just a maybe it's fake news, but this newspaper received a hard disk from somebody in Tidal, which had uh, the actual analytical data from Tidal, and then they basically spoke to the record labels, and the, the data matched up with what a label had for these these uh, you know the sort of identification numbers for these records. Let's so, hear
2: it for whistleblowers. Yeah, so it's, it's I can um, love a good whistleblower,
1: and also this also ties into something Spotify were accused of a couple of years ago too, which is where. There was, there was a couple of ch- chill-out kind of meditation kind of focus, uh, concentration. type playlists. Ambient playlists. And they're full of unknown artists. So when you click on these artists, these artists have millions of plays, but they've only got like one or two songs. And it turned out that 50 of these artists, that Spotify have denied it, but it turns out 50 of these artists were registered in Sweden. And so it looks as though that they were actually hired by Spotify to write music specifically so they could put them on these playlists, which would then get them millions of views so it's kind of like that's the allegation yeah that's the allegation Spotify have denied it um, a few sources have looked into it and that's what seems to be the case um, the songwriters are all kind of similar they might be the same people that's been responsible for writing these songs Spotify said they don't do this
2: even even as a Spotify employee I think you could a savvy employee could spot the business opportunity there and be like God, we, we should totally do that mm-hmm. and yeah make a bit on the side
1: yeah if you know how it works then you can exploit it you know
2: so we have this weird industry that has developed in such a way that the reality isn't always as important as the perception you know the popularity of an artist doesn't always necessarily have to be based on the sales especially when sales are so poor mm-hmm. uh the popularity of an artist there's really about what people see uh, what how people see themselves how people perceive themselves like what kind of music do they want to listen to? But also, do they want to be seen as being cutting edge? Do they want to know the latest music? Are you somebody, especially for younger people, that prides yourself on being up to speed mm-hmm. on you know the, the 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 pop music freaking zeitgeist? And that is a pretty powerful uh, s- sentiment, I think, especially in younger people. You want to feel like the in group. They really seem to have found a way to maximise uh, the application of that.
1: Yeah, the golden thing about it, uh, when it comes to those artists we've mentioned, you know, Lady, uh, Lady Lady Gaga, Kanye West, Beyonce, Britney Spears, it's like, they don't need, you know, they don't need the bump, right? They're still going to get millions of views and millions of plays anyway, mm-hmm. just by the nature of who they are. So, what is the, th- I don't understand the thinking behind that, really. it's It seems just like... A- an
2: arms race it's sort of like the donald trump thing where he inflates his own personal wealth and you're like i've no doubt you're fabulously wealthy Mm -hmm. but i've also no doubt that he grossly exaggerates his own personal wealth true yeah when you're that successful i guess you just become obsessed with the perception of it Mm -hmm. and you nobody wants to be like the 18th most successful (laughs) Music, yeah, <laughs> women in pop mm-hmm. you know it, it's that kind of thing it's like you would think yeah that would be great but i think once you're there you're like no damn it I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna bump this but as i say i'm not sure that these people necessarily have a blatant involvement like a direct involvement with that i think it's more that the management want to tell her the right thing to keep her happy and oh you know uh, the, the the intern doesn't want to disappoint the manager, and so everybody's just doing what it takes to keep their superior happy, and uh, there's a plausible deniability all the way down that chain.
1: Yeah, speaking of streaming service plays as well, like we looked into this too. You can buy like a thousand plays on Spotify for like six dollars, right? Threaten didn't do that, which is a bit weird.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's partly because he's sloppy as fuck. <laughs> I and mean, he, like, as much as I, I'm giving him a sort of dark kudos here for the brass neck. That it took to do this, uh, it wasn't exactly the most thorough or well thought out campaign. It was obvious when you lied about having 300 pre-sales that 300 people weren't going to rock up. It's not fucking Wayne's World, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, like, unless he fucking was guided over here by a, a, his Indian spirit, <laughs> like, like it's it's a pretty absurd thing. It was bound to come crashing down about his ears. But maybe he didn't give a fuck. Maybe mm-hmm. it was just like oh, I'm just going to do this. You only live once. I think you know. Uh, there's another thing actually. Just to just before we wrap this up. There's another side of this that I find fascinating. And this is like a little bit more close at home. So I work as a music promoter oh. and I've been doing it for a The gloves are coming time. off. Yeah, absolutely. I work as a music promoter. I've been doing it for a while and I've got a lot of friends that work as music promoters and have toured and I think you have a basic bit of insight. As much as I don't work at that the higher levels of it, you, you, there's basic standards that you would expect to be applied. Like different stakes, the same game basically. So... In the same way as I have limited time for NME pissing and moaning about bands trying to con their way to success when that is exactly what NME's advertising budget is based on as far as I can make out, I have limited sympathy for the fucking toys getting thrown out the pram by Camden Underworld, for example, who, first of all, who got a £750 dry hire, which I would assume covers their cost, Mm. that's surely the point of it. Yeah. Uh, But also, Camden Underworld took their ticket figures from a promoter from the American West Coast. (laughs) Why the fuck (laughs) is a venue in London getting its ticket sales figures on on good faith from a promoter that clearly it's never worked with before because they didn't exist and has no track record, especially not in London? Mm -hmm. As a venue, as a venue booker, as a manager, you have to do your... Due diligence and say, okay, a new promoter's got in touch. I have a big venue here. We want to maximize the revenue every night. We don't want to lose an entire night's worth of drink sales. What gigs have you put on before? This is the thing that wouldn't have happened pre internet because you couldn't have gone on their Facebook or their YouTube and gone, oh wow, a million views. Right, cool, I'll book them. You would have had to have said to the promoter, what have you put on before? How was it? Or you'd maybe have asked around. There was a level of investigative inquiry required to do your job that seems to have just gone by the wayside now that there's little numbers on the screen that we just are like you know don't ask don't tell that looks legitimate and i think that's a fascinating trend i can't even in a tiny venue like mine um or the other venues that friends of ours work in i can't imagine that a promoter would swan in from the middle of nowhere with no track record and you would just be like yeah cool Many of you sold 4 million tickets. Wow, that's going to be busy. You know, it's just it's just bizarre. And, you know, the ex- same applies to Bristol Exchange. Why are you allowing somebody to dry hire or allowing somebody to promote unsupervised with no no accountability, no contact with a local ticket company, for example? Um, we contacted ticket companies to see how sales are going, you know? There is no accountability in that process. And then when it bites you on the ass at the last minute, you're like, well, there's a number of really simple steps you could have taken somewhere down that road to try and mitigate the likelihood of that happening, such as, have you ever done this before? Who are you?
1: And even other simple things like, where's the posters going to be going up in town? Where's the the listings going to be like in the list or wherever? Do you know what I mean? Who's doing it? Yeah, like like, You should know this stuff. Who are these people?
2: And it's, you know, go on the Facebook event, click on the links. If you click on... Twenty of the three hundred links, and they're all in fucking Sao Paulo, (laughs) uh, unless there's a really, really cheap Ryanair flight coming (laughs) over that day. Like, (laughs) I really don't see how you managed to miss that, uh, unless you're not doing your fucking job properly. I, I just sorry to put it as bluntly as that. You know, it sucks you lost some bar sales, but you know what? Maybe you won't do that again. Maybe you'll actually learn your lesson.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. It goes without saying that this stuff isn't really rocket science. If you've been doing it for years, then I can understand why you might get a bit complacent, but see, when it comes to numbers that big, for people that you've never heard of before, you should be making allowances for the fact that, okay, maybe this gig might not be as well attended as they say it's going to be, but you should still be doing an investigation and saying, well, are these guys legit? It should have stopped there. I should have stopped way before. We shouldn't be having this conversation because of this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: presumably you have some standards to maintain Mm -hmm. in your venue unless you just don't give a shit. Unless you're like, oh, we got the deposit. That's fine. That's cool. Next. You know, just I can't relate to that mentality But whatsoever. I I think it's really bizarre and I think it's a a little bit rich Mm -hmm. to to then hear them pissing them on about it. There's so many bad practices in promotion now. There's so many companies selling... It's so many companies charging bands to play. There's so many companies giving bands a hundred tickets to sell, knowing they're selling them all to their family members, and they've, there's no way their family members are going. Their family members just want. They know the band will get further up the bill if the band sells more tickets, and therefore they're like, "Okay, we'll buy twenty, son." You know, it's you. you are the let the 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 venues are playing the bands, which is <laughs> you know <laughs> poetically ironic. In its own way, and that kind of patter is just another manifestation of the kind of hollow rot that that is there throughout promotions companies and venues all over the land. And as much as people complain about the deterioration in audiences for concerts, um, a lot of those venues have a lot to answer for.
1: They're making rods for their own back at the time.
2: Yeah, and 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 especially in terms of the way. The
1: the use and abuse young bands mm. is sh- shocking. People might sit back and wonder why why on a lot of this podcast, the three of us can come across as quite cynical sometimes about the machinations of the music industry. But there's no, there's absolutely no fucking exaggeration when we say when people say it's a cesspit. It is, you know, and we don't say it because we're jaded as fuck. We say it because people are getting taken advantage of. Right, um, left and centre People I'm, that I'm are GD naive as, I'm jaded as fuck I mean But you wouldn't be so jaded if, if there wasn't People preying on naive people You know And that's what it comes down to we, it's, I know it seems really strangely idealistic To think that way But it's true We don't want like, Scenes exist and they thrive On the practices of good people Doing good jobs Right A threatening Is like A strange fucking parable For our times I
2: kind of I, I, I kind of perversely like it I, I'm just like I'm like, this is this is funny because this is just highlighting how fucking stupid this whole system is, and how much of it is not at all based on people promoting because they want to promote because they care about what they're putting on and they're actually involved in it. Um, yeah, fuck it,
1: you get what you pay for. Well, look, I still don't understand what the fuck has he got a game from it He's also just had the shit at holiday of his entire life <laughs> not, not, not as shit as a bass player That's true <laughs> But for that much money He could have went fucking anywhere He could have bought a PR company And actually bought on a tour You know And actually played to people With bands that he might actually like He could have bought
2: Nine Versions of Friday <laughs> Could have <laughs> And re- Released a, an <laughs> album of pop bangers.
1: He's went about bit all wrong when really, you think about
2: it. <laughs> so Jared, uh, if fuck you, you want to get in touch? No, if you want to get in touch, we have some ideas <laughs> for the next time around.
1: But thank you for putting up with us. Hopefully, this can make it out to to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think this is actually better than the first one. I hope so.
2: I feel th- it feels better. Yeah, it's smoother. Yeah, maybe slightly longer.
1: Yeah. Uh, so there's no vote this week but next week David will be here and no the there is a vote this week there's a vote this is week is Jared uh, a postmodern genius
2: or a charlatan oh god <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no <laughs> see you online folks <laughs> please uh, please share this with your friends if you, also see if you enjoyed this episode let us know If you know other manufacturers' bands, just drop them in the comments. I mean, we like to know about stuff like this. And if you enjoyed this, let us know, because we'd like to do more like this. This is actually a lot of fun to do. The research side of it as well, you know. Um, We're not fucking reporters, but we enjoy a laugh. Actually, this this
2: (laughs) was my degree.
1: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, folks, thanks very much. Thank you.